0: Welcome to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I'm Christopher Dedan, founder and CEO of Devian Enterprises, Inc. We are committed to optimize people's performance with tools such as peak performance speaking, coaching, and consulting programs for a worldwide international community. We believe that the only difference between where you are and where you want to be is acquiring the knowledge you need and consistently utilizing that knowledge to become a peak performing individual in every area of your life around until the end of the show, where we will reveal how you can become the next guest on the fastest growing inspirational educational podcast on the planet in 20 to 30 minutes. Let's go. Welcome back to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I'm your host, Christopher Dedian, and today we have Bill Flynn, which he is the CEO of Catalyst Growth Advisor, which is a company that offers speaking services as well as coaching. Bill, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Christopher. Thanks for having me on. It is such a pleasure having you here Uh, I am really excited to talk about the whole speaking world, the leadership world, the coaching world, as I am a a professional speaker and a peak performance coach as well. So I know we're going to have a lot of fun with that. But before unpacking all of that in a very uh, intense and beautiful way, I gave a small introduction of who you are and what you do. Do you mind unpacking that a bit more for our viewers and our our audience? Happy to. Sure.
1: Uh, So I have had sort of two... Parks to my um, career. If you will, uh, I did. Thank you so much for
0: listening for many to many peak startup so If you're a successful years. entrepreneur or All in the high entrepreneur who would like to be uh, on this area, program, please visit our website peakperformancegreatness.com. If you got um, something out of this interview, and, would you share this uh, episode
1: on social media? When I was Just there, do a I was quick screenshot of your phone,
0: a, text it to uh, a friend, tips, or post it on social media. If you know somebody that a great guests, please tag them on social media. Let them know about this program. Don't forget to include the hashtag peak performance greatness. I love Seven seeing your posts and guest so, suggestions.
1: Uh, I we to regularly coaching.
0: put out new episodes uh, and content. So to make sure that primary. you don't miss any episodes. Uh, Go ahead and click that subscribe button. Thumbs up, is, you reading, sort of and review by, go a long I, way to help I us promote work this with show, and, and it would so mean a lot to me as well as my
1: team. Sort of you want to know more? Go ahead and, and visit our website, growthframework.com, or follow me on that LinkedIn, really Facebook, Instagram, or my YouTube channel at Christopher Deming. Thank you for listening.
0: We will see you next time. Have
1: a blessed and beautiful day. And I make it into a simplified approach that is. The essence of what I do when I coach, I, I help people to do do more by doing less, primarily. Um, I also do some one-on-one executive coaching, generally to the C-suite. Uh, I wrote a book uh, as well. I sort of say I'm an accidental author, and I do do some writing uh, a couple of times a month, mostly for me, and then I put it out to people, and they seem to like it. I have a a, a surprisingly high open rate for my audience, which is generally small, Um And then, as you mentioned, I do a little bit of speaking. I'm actually headed to Omaha next week to do a keynote on strategy to a a, sort of a tangential Vistage group. So I do a number of things.
0: That's sort of where I'm at. Bill, thank you for that. And before unpacking a bit more of the strategies that you talk about or your coach about uh, with your executive approach... Let's unpack the aspect of seven years ago, you were in the corporate world, and then you decided to go into the coaching world. How did it happen? Why did it happen? How was the transition? What was the fear like? Was there fear wasn't there fear?
1: Yeah. Um, so uh, you know what? Surprisingly, and probably incorrectly, I didn't have a lot of fear. Uh, I I just to sort of assumed it would work out. Um, I'm I'm relatively optimistic in my approach to most things. And sometimes it's uh, it's uh, it's an asset. Mostly it's an asset. Sometimes it it is not an asset. It becomes a liability. Um, but I I the seed was planted between startup of five and six. So somewhere around 2008 2009 in that time frame, I actually became uh, or or I had to be a coach. In a certain situation, I was, uh, I just was um, promoted to be the GM of this division that I mentioned earlier. I had been a consultant um, to start, and then they brought me on as sales and I took on marketing uh, for the founder who said, you know, just make me look as big as, as you can. I want to sell this thing. And about a year after I started working with him and talked to him, he sold it to a larger organization. Uh, and then he left, and I took over the division. Um, And uh, the day that I started, I I wrote a piece on it calling it uh, January 4th, 2009, the best and worst day of my professional career um, because I took over this division, which was an email hosting company before Gmail, before um, Microsoft's 365, uh, Office 365 offering. And we didn't deliver email to anyone really for about two and a half days because the entire technical infrastructure collapsed on itself. And this was before AWS and sort of outsourcing. We had our own data center and unfortunately it was set up that if there was a, a too much volume at one time, it, uh, the systems weren't separate enough. So they, they sort of collapsed. And so I lost like a thousand customers. We all lost a thousand customers in in a week. We had to, I had to go around with the president of the new company and to try to save some of our large partners, which were billion dollar partners. Uh, so it was really a, a, a learning um, environment for me. But what happened was I had sixty or so people working in the division that I was running, and you know they're getting yelled at on a regular basis. You know, and the customers are super unhappy. And I had a brand new team that I I uh, had two two new members for, and you know I was I never ran, I had never run finance before. I'm technically adept, but this was a network infrastructure, so I I didn't do that. I never really run course customer service before, so I said to to the guys, hey, we need to. Um, fix this thing. And I said, I don't know how to do most of your job. So I, I I don't have any answers here, but let's work together. I have a general idea of what it should look like, but I want to discuss that with you. And then let's work out a, a plan and a roadmap for each of you and me to make that happen. And then we'll support each other through the through the whole thing. Um, and that worked phenomenally well. And I sort of tucked that away. You know, the, the the numbers were great. But the best part of that was two of the two of the members that I worked with told me on my one of my last days uh, when I went to my next startup that they, they wanted to know that the thing that they, that I made them do this roadmap thing and this thinking was really hard. They hated it. Um, but they were so glad that that we did it because uh, it sort of gave them a little more uh, essence of that. And I, I took that away and I said, I want to do more of that at some point I did four more startups. And then I, on the 11th startup, I, I, I the potential 11th startup, I said, do I want to do this? Or I hearkened back to that, that experience. And I said, I want to give that a try. And so I went out and looked and I, I interviewed, and researched a bunch of coaches and, and business operating systems. And I sort of settled on this thing called scaling up or mastering the Rockefeller habits. And that's where I started 2015, 2016 kind of time frame. So that's sort of how I got here. Um, and I, it happened so quickly. I don't know that I had time to be fearful. I was just in, I, was, I just made the decision, talked to some folks in February of 2016, I was in training. I left my other company in the middle of December. Um, and you know, i got into it I, I'm, I'm funny i'm i'm more fearful now than i was then uh now that i'm in it and you know this acquisition of clients is not easy and even though i'm a sales and marketing guy you know you're creating a system that does that looking for this needle in a stack of needles is not easy to do so that's sort of where i'm at
0: okay that was interesting i'm gonna unpack certain parts and i have a question with the last part that you just mentioned so first and foremost You mentioned something that I call being a blind optimist, right? Is that fear aspect and you're like, hey, you know what? This is sometimes an asset and sometimes it's a liability and I am exactly on the same page as you because I'm exactly the same thing. Every time we start something, if you're a blind optimist, you're like, oh yeah, I'll figure it out. It's easy. And then once you go in it, you're like, oh, wait a minute, it's a lot more than I thought, but you're already through the process of it. So you continue, right? And that's a blind right. optimist of like starting it because if you analyze everything and you become into that analysis paralysis, you'll never start off anything. So I love the fact that you were able to understand that and do that as an entrepreneur. Second thing, the fact that you were able to listen to your gut and your inner feelings of like, hey, I like doing this within the organization in regards to coaching, in regards to supporting. How can I do this at a higher level? How can I get the uh, education, the certification that I need? And then you went about and, uh, and did that. Now, that was the two things I wanted to highlight for our viewers and listeners here. The third thing that I wanted to get on a question as you mentioned, You didn't have fear in the beginning, but now you have more fear in regards to acquiring clients. That's very interesting that before you didn't and now you have. Do you mind unpacking that and telling us why you have fear now? Is it because you have a lack of clients? Is it the strategy? What's that fear related to specifically?
1: Yeah, actually, um, uh, last year, um, income-wise was my best year. Uh, So it's not lack of clients. Uh, I think really what happened was when COVID happened, I lost like 93% of my income in like a week, mm-hmm. you know, wh- for, for all different reasons. Some just said, look, you know, we are kind of hunkered down and we don't have time, nor resources to, to work with you. Others said, we're so busy, you know, from this, you know, COVID was a blessing to us. We, we just want to put our heads down and, and focus on, you know, serving our clients and even taking a few days out of the year working with you. It's just something we don't feel comfortable doing right now. Um, So that was, you know, that was a, a a very um, it's really stood me up. Right. And uh, you know, I I had a daughter, I have a daughter uh, in college, uh, you know, I I had some other expenses and things. So this uh, you know, something that was completely out of my control coming out of nowhere, even though my clients loved me, they, they can, uh, some of them have been working with me for years and, and would have continued working with me for years. So that, that has stuck with me. Right. And to not be, to, to diverse, diversify my streams of income, uh, to do some other things um, and work with other types of organizations to help bring in different ways to acquire clients, you know, through speaking and writing. And I have partners and I, I do a lot of referral. I get a lot of referrals from my clients, which is great as well. So that's sort of what, I think That's that was the kernel of it. And so that I've never forgotten that. Um, so I, I'm constantly thinking, how do I make sure that I keep that stream of potential clients coming? I don't need that many which is great and they stay with me for years but you know it you know i get paid a relatively good amount of money per client but if i lose one or two i also lose a big chunk of money as well so it has a, a positive and a negative to it
0: So how do you deal with that fear? Because what you're talking about is very much a true reality for a lot of entrepreneurs, especially when they're in the executive price point, which is what you're kind of alluding to, big numbers. So you don't need a lot of clients, but if you lose one, that's a big percentage of the game that you have within the income. So how do you deal with that fear? Or is it something that was just triggered because of that COVID situation? And how do you deal with it just emotionally on a daily basis right now?
1: Yeah, so I think I do it do it in a couple of ways. So I'm a bit of a neuroscience and a cognitive psychology geek. Let's go. Uh, and I know that most of uh our fears come from an unconscious situation. Uh so uh I when they come up, I sort of look at them and say, you know, is this, is this a real fear or is this just something that your brain is doing to protect you? Because it doesn't know any, it doesn't know any difference between a sort of a social and a physical threat and acts the same way. Um so I do that. Uh, I definitely, uh, started doing more meditating and things to, you know, my, I generally of a good processing and my, my brain is more slow thinking than fast thinking. I generally stay calm through most things. Um, but, uh, so that's what I do. And then just sort of practically, I, um, I'm constantly looking for ways to make sure that I'm, uh, at least if not bringing on new clients, warming them up, um, finding other places where I can start relationships with folks. So when time comes, it happens. I've had two or three clients where it was two years later that they came on, uh, after I, you know, sort of started talking to them about this and they were interested, but it took a while. So, um, I'm not afraid to ask for referrals from my my own clients, which I get either proactively or reactively from them. So I do a number of, pro- of, of other things that, uh, that, that that help doing podcasts. I actually, I haven't acquired a client yet, but I've gotten some interest by someone who heard me on other podcasts and thought they like the way I think, and I might be a good coach for them and their team. And um, that hasn't happened yet, but I'm still in that conversation. So uh, sort of diversifying those in- incoming acquisition models that uh, has done it as well.
0: Nice. So the strategies, like you said, diversify, be as many as places as possible uh, ask the clients that have already trust you, like you for referrals. Now, in regards to the things you coach about, the things you speak about, you had previously mentioned to me that you in the world of leadership and beyond. Do you mind unpacking exactly what you're talking about and what are some tips that you could go or give within those uh, uh, categories for our uh, viewers and listeners?
1: Yeah, so, um, and this is sort of why I wrote my book um, or I was asked to write my book, is that, um, so I've, I've always been a huge fan of business and researching business and understanding, you know, why businesses fail but really, you know, why businesses succeed. And what I found in, at a high level with both is there are lots of ways to either fail or struggle in business. Uh, mm-hmm. I just did some research, which was really basic research, Googling and talking to people, you know, you know, what are the reasons why businesses go out of business? And I just started to write them down. And I got to, I think it was 30 or 35 and I just stopped writing. There's just so many different ways for you to either struggle or, or fail in business. Um, and then I, I've also been looking at what are, what are um, businesses that are successful? And not just in a few years, but over a long period of times, businesses that endure. And what I came to believe is that there were just a few things that they did really well. And uh, and that's, what, that's sort of the essence of my book. There are three things that I've c- encapsulated it to, which is um, performance is a team sport. Most uh, businesses, most things succeed through team, not through an individual. It's very rare that an individual is is um, solely responsible for something happening over the long-term. Uh, that a business is really one big system, which is made up of a bunch of subsystems and components. Uh, and to think think of your business as a system, especially if you wanna scale it and grow it. And lastly is if you wanna grow a business and you want it to endure, Cash should be your primary financial metric, not revenue, not even profit, uh, but cash. It's the only thing that will not lie to you on your PNL or your, or, your um, uh, or other financial statements. You either have cash or you don't. And if you wanna grow your business, you have to typically invest in front of growth and that costs money. Uh, so those are the three things that I have focused on of, of what makes the most sense, at least it made sense to me. Um, and, and that's what I teach to my clients, I teach this growth framework, but firstly I say is that uh, your job as the head of a company, regardless of the size is to predict the future more than than run the the day-to-day. And so as much as you can, you need to create space and time for you to do that and your team to do that. Um, You know, I, I say we spend a lot of time looking down. We have to spend more time looking out. And uh, that's what I sort of work with them on is how do you fire yourself from the day to day as much as possible and create time and space to think and predict, which is really the creation of your own future. And that's that's this framework I work with them on. Uh, But first, we have to create that time and space to do that.
0: Bill, I love the fact that you just unpacked that in very clear way from the research that you did from Google and just asking around and really finding out what are the realities of our entrepreneurs within their fails, their successes, their fears, and beyond. And the three structures that you eloquently explained, I think, is worth to highlight here once again. So the first thing you mentioned is performance is a team sport. And I 100% agree with that, right? You could go fast by yourself, but if you want to go very far, you need a team around you. And if you're building a business, you're not going to do it by yourself. You have to learn delegating. You have to grow together and you have to understand that the people that are coming on the team, they're not working for you. They're not working for the business. They're working for the mission and vision of the organization. So that's the thing of the team first. Second thing, systems and processes, right? You want a team or you want a business to succeed. Once again, you have to put systems and processes in place that when an order comes in, when a sales comes in, when something comes in, they know exactly what are the steps to go about to do that uh, task in hand. And as the organization grows, it creates less friction within the organization of finding out who needs to do what and beyond. And the third thing, which I really appreciate the way you kind of explained it, is the cash flow aspect, right? Especially in the beginning parts of your business, or actually not even just in the beginning, but any point of of the business, cash is like, oxygen for your business and you have to have a like a steady cash flow uh to be able to utilize especially during the growth periods of it so bill thank you for highlighting that that was very very valuable on that end my next question did i want to ask you in regards to leadership what are some advices that you give to your seasoned ceos and c-suites that you coach now these are people that already are running let's say you know, fifty, hundred uh, employees, maybe making businesses seven, eight, nine figures. What are some of the things that you notice as a coach with a different perspective that you help them tweak their leadership methods? That you've seen these people might have blind spots on.
1: Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm a bit of a contrarian, and and I've I've come to believe that leadership as a concept that can be sort of replicated is difficult to non existent So leadership isn't really a thing, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what we study at this, it's 15, 18, $20 billion industries that's about leadership. And uh, everyone has their own definition, which is perfectly fine, right? I have no issues with that. Uh, I think we should study followership. Uh, Leaders create followers. the whether they're good or bad leaders is really subjective to the follower and, and but the follower is going to either hear something or feel something or whatever and they're going to say hey i want to help this person do that thing right so uh to me if you want to be a leader um and I'm, I'm not saying a great leader, i'm saying a leader is you have to have a, a vision you have to have some sort of idea of what it looks like when when we when we're done so to speak right as of right now we're trying to make this, we're trying to accomplish this. We're trying to put a PC on every desk. You know, we're trying to change the world through through this particular way or whatever it might be. Um, and the only other attribute that I that I've seen besides having a compelling vision, um, and there's personality in there as well. Sometimes you don't have, to have a full thought out position uh, vision, but there's some personality aspect that people really, really love and they attach to that. But the other thing that I think really all leaders have whether we consider them great or not great or whatever, is courage. Mm. Uh, if you don't have courage, it's going to be hard to be a leader because often your vision is is um, told it's not a good one, it's not going to happen, especially if it's a new thing. Uh, you have to have the courage to give up autonomy to people. Once you get going, you have to sort of let go of parts of the business and teach other people how to do it and trust that they're going to do it. You have to do so many things that I think courage is, is the main other thing you know we talk about integrity and honesty and whatever and you know you look at all the and charisma you look at different leaders some of them are charismatic some of them are not right i wouldn't consider warren buffett a charismatic person but you know even bill gates right but people followed him um steve jobs didn't really have a ton of integrity i mean he he did some weird things with cars and people and whatever but People were willing to forgive him those things because there was a gravity that was pulling them towards something else. Um, So I don't know if there's any sort of aspects. Now, I think if you want to be a great leader, you have to understand that your job is to create an environment for others to thrive and however you do that, right? Um, And it can be done different ways. Uh, But as long as you create that environment, uh, that atmosphere, then I think you have a better chance of, of becoming... Uh, you know, an enduring leader.
0: Bill, once again, you just dropped some golden nuggets for us. I'm going to do another job of highlighting it over here. So to be a good leader, first of all, your first ideology was we should study followership and not just leadership. Which, in my perception, the way you're saying that is having the right team around you and knowing is this person going to do the work as a soldier or how is he going to fit within the organization or within the team eloquently? So, that's an aspect of the followership that I see right. the way that you explained it. Now, a leader has three things that you kind of mentioned two specifically, and the third one, I'm kind of going to slide it in as well. First and foremost, he needs to have a vision, right? Needs to have a vision of where we're going. Needs to be a- able to eloquently explain this vision to his team members. Then, second thing, needs to have courage because there is no entrepreneur or anybody who succeeded in this l- in this life that is not going to fail. So, you need to have courage to take these risks and continue, and have courage to kind of in air quotes here look foolish in front of the group with some of the things that you're going to do. So that demands courage. And then, third thing that you mentioned is create an environment that is going to make your colleagues and employees thrive. As a leader, it's not you doing everything, but it's opening the platform for everybody to live in their own genius. That's your role as a leader. So I love the fact that you mentioned those three things. Then you gave some examples of some leaders that we well know, and you're like, hey, they're not all charismatic. They might be this, they might be that. And it's true, right? There's a lot of personalities. Uh, It's not one specific type that's a leader in personality traits. I do believe certain personality traits Uh, are more keen to be leaders, but there are great leaders that are maybe more introvert, ambivert, or extrovert, right? Now you mentioned Steve Jobs, and I want to highlight this because I read in your bio that you've actually given a pitch to Steve Jobs. And anybody that's an entrepreneur has potentially heard, hopefully or studied Steve Jobs in a certain way. And I have as well in regards to reading his book uh, that was a, uh, authored by uh, Walter Isaacson. Isaacson, which was amazing, yep. as well as I I, wrote, I read the book about uh, Pixar, which is a Creativity Inc. Yeah. And it kind of gave you the aspect of how that works, as well as the book of Bob Eicher, the CEO of Disney. And I read those three books back to back and it gave me three different perceptions of who Steve Jobs was, what he did, and a lot of it was linked up with this distortion field that they were calling in regards to Steve Jobs used to make people do things in a way that everybody thought it was crazy, but when it was coming from Steve Jobs, they accepted it, and not only they did it, but they were able to create something in a such shorter time or in a way that they didn't think at all was possible. So now my question to you. What was that experience of the pitch that you gave to Steve Jobs? And second of all, did you feel that distortion field? And what can you talk about that distortion field that Steve Jobs may have had or haven't had?
1: Yeah. So um, uh, I didn't get a ton of insight. So he was at next at the time. I was doing I was selling speech recognition software, and uh, I had basically driven up and down 101 for for years, uh, going to all the different hardware manufacturers and and um, uh, and card manufacturers and other folks to, to see if they were interested in speech recognition. Uh, and I was invited to come to next to talk to some product folks. And I showed up in, uh, and I can't remember where it was Cupertino, wherever it was. And they said, Hey, you know, we're going to be here. We're going to start a little late because Steve might be coming. And I'm 20, I don't know, 27, 28 years old. And, uh, it didn't even occur to me who Steve was, right? I'm like, and I'm trying, I'm thinking back as I talked to a bunch of people, I'm like, who is Steve? Is this, you know, did I forget who Steve is? And is this their boss, you know, who runs the product team or whatever? And then in walks Steve Jobs. I'm like, oh, okay, it's Steve Jobs. And which is good because I had some friends and family that worked for Apple in the early days. And, you know, I had heard some stories. So I probably would have been nervous. Uh, I didn't have time to be nervous and uh, he walked in and he it was only about 20 minutes. You know, he asked me a bunch of questions. I gave him a demo. He asked me some more questions. He was gracious and kind. And 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 he's, he's like, okay, great. Thank you very much. And off he went. So I didn't experience any of that, that other stuff, but in my research, what I found is that Steve jobs, one O was very different than Steve jobs two O mm. uh, uh, and uh, so I think the things, the changes that he made really allowed um apple to thrive right he did a bunch of stuff i mean i think you know in the first so they were running out of money they're gonna there were 90 days from from going out of business for running running out of money so he's like i gotta and he didn't have any ideas yet he's just you know i, I want to get back in and fix things so he cut like 70 percent of products and things and you know um he really had them focus on four areas they became profitable quickly which bought him time to do what the next thing was which was itunes and the ipod um but that took a while, you know. Um, and but I, what I loved is his background was in, in he was really about being simple. And no one's ever said this about what is Apple's strategy or what was it. And but I, I've sort of said I think Apple's strategy, if I were to put it into a phrase, was they they build things that are amazingly simple and simply amazing. Yeah. Um, they they do joy right they a joy to use sort of strategy model and they applied that to everything whether it was you know an iPod or or the iTunes software or the iPhone or the watch or the, whatever it was it was always the same thing and there's that there's that story about him they're saying you know, we need a stylus and he's like no we have one you know why are we making things that we don't need you know we have a finger and that can that's how we're going to use this thing And again people thought he was crazy but in the end you know there's no keyboard on this thing and Steve Ballmer said. This thing is, this thing is going to, nobody's going to like it. It's too expensive. It's going to, it's not going to have any market share. And he was right. It only had 4% market share in the first two or three years, but it had 50% of the profit share. Mm. So they were making far more money than everyone else. Uh, and it and, and eventually got bigger and bigger. So I think that's, that's what I love about Steve Jobs and his reality distortion. It's because he thought in first principles, which most people don't. And so people didn't get it because we we think sort of in the middle to the to the end uh, of a situation and he's thinking from from basic you know simple things like neuroscience or
0: whatever bill i love that answer thank you very much for giving us a bit of an insight of that uh, that experience that you've had with uh, steve jobs and just explaining who he was in, in a really great way as well i have two more questions because i want to be respectful for your time here and my next question is i truly believe that we learn a lot from our own failures more than our successes, right? But we don't only need to learn from our failures, we can learn from other people's failures as well. So my question to you is, what is something within your business right now that you're having a hard time with that you might need to optimize or even in air quotes here, you're failing at, and how are you going about looking at it to fix that solution in itself?
1: Yeah, um, so first of all, I think we're gonna agree to disagree on that. I think you actually learn more from success than failure. I think when you learn from failure, you learn not to fail. You don't necessarily learn to be great. Um, and success, uh, generally, if you study success and you try to focus on that, uh, often your failures just fade away because you're focusing on the things that do well, and you just do fewer of the things that that, that were failures. Um, but having said that, you can absolutely learn from failure, and I think that's important to to do. Um, I'm a big fan of after-action reports, which is sort of a military uh, thing to do. It's you know they. I'm a big fan of pre-mortems and I don't like post-mortems as much. It's sort of after action, which is three or four questions that you ask to really say, you know, what were we trying to do? What did we accomplish it? Where did it go? Well, where did it not go well? And then try to figure out how to learn from that and be better as opposed to not make, not making a mistake again is just not failing as opposed to strive for excellence. So if you take the failure and drive towards excellence, then your ability to um learn from failure in a positive way is is enhanced, I think. Uh, so so with that in mind, you know, as I mentioned before, my biggest failure is is trying to systematize this sort of business development model. Mm-hmm. I haven't quite cracked the code at this point. Um, and I'm constantly looking for if any of your listeners have some cool ideas, I'm um, I'm open for it or if you do. Uh, you know, um, so I think that's that's my biggest failure at this point is is getting to a point where I have enough clients where if I lose one or two, it's not a big deal. I'm not quite there yet. i'm'm I'm, I'm close
0: and some years are better than others, but I'm not quite there yet. Bill, thank you very much for explaining that aspect. and I do agree with you in regards to when I was saying you learn more from failures, it's the common approach to it. But I do agree that you learn as much from successes if you actually take the time to learn from them. That's where the correlating factor happens. Because when people hit a wall, they're gonna like, why did I hit a wall? Towards when people score, they don't necessarily think why I scored. But I do agree with you that both are extremely important metrics to uh, succeed and learn from in itself. Bill, my last question for you. People listen to you. They found you sharp. They want to connect with you. Where's the best place that they could reach out to you, uh, your team, and your services?
1: Certainly. Uh, thank you for that. My uh, best way to reach me is through my website. All my contact info is on there. My, actually, my book is on there. I give away my book for free. You can also buy it on Amazon and Audible. Uh, all of my blog posts, I have like 160 or so over the last five or six years that are up there. You know, Short one to two minute things as well. Uh, and that's catalystgrowthadvisors.com. Um and uh, uh, if you want it's, it grows to, it's Callous Gross Advisors um, with an "s" at the end.com. If you want to get there, you can reach out to me. My calendar link is on there. There's all sorts of ways to, to sort of get to know me and, and what I do and how I think.
0: Bill, thank you very much for that. Everything will be in the show notes below. It was such a pleasure speaking to you. And I only wish you the best in the growth of your business.
1: You as well. Thanks again for having me on, Christopher.